You may be seated. Verse 11 said, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed in me? But hope in God. For him all praise, my Savior God alone. Is he, he is worthy of all praise and adoration. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1 as we continue to make our way through Mark. You're probably thinking, oh no, the pastor's going to preach just two more verses again. I know someone very dear to me who's like, why don't you just preach the whole, the whole chapter and move on? Well, in a little side note, in the arrangement of Mark's gospel or any other book in the Bible for that matter, uh, there, there's a way that the authors arrange their thoughts, and sometimes the author uses a whole bunch of verses, and sometimes he uses a couple of verses. So be assured, in the future, there will be those long passages. But today, I will read for us just two verses. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Amen. God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Well, right off in this short section in chapter 1 of Mark, we read the word immediately. And we experience again that swift pace at which Mark tells his gospel story. Actually, this word meaning right away appears around 40 times in just Mark's gospel alone. Mark does not pull out any stops nor does he even apply the brakes a little. Some of us can just really learn, need to learn from Mark here, don't we? I know that I myself can get on a roll in a conversation where I spend so much time and all the details that the person has to endure and wait patiently for me to get to the point. And that's what Mark does. He gets to the point. And he paints a vivid picture for us as he moves along in his account. His style is much different from Matthew or Luke, who just need to slow down at certain points and describe the scene and provide us with a little more detail about what's going on. Because each of the Gospels approaches the life and the ministry of Jesus from just a little different perspective. Well, here, Mark lets us get it in just 30 Greek words. He prunes back a lot of the details that the other writers provide so that he can highlight 
Jesus' encounter with Satan in the wilderness. And that he can show us that it's ongoing, that it's continuous. So I chose to just focus on two verses this time because of where they are situated in chapter 1. These verses fall right on the heels of the previous three verses where Jesus was just baptized. The question has arisen in my study of this passage. Are these verses now the start of Jesus' ministry? Or are they still included in the prelude? Jesus' preparation for his ministry. And some of the commentaries do their best to convince us of the former. And others, the latter. And I chose to lay that out, to lay out my, I, I choose to lay out my cards here, but rather than let, uh, rather than let you choose which one you want to go with. What's important here, however, is that this is a good transition from his preparation to his actual public ministry as our servant king. The Spirit of God definitely drove him into the wilderness and had him confront his and our adversary head-on for a reason. And we will get that to that a little bit later. Well, let's talk about the theme of this section. Because of your Bible translations, which actually separate these verses from the previous verses and give it the title, The Temptation of Jesus, and that is perfectly fine. Some of the commentaries I consulted give it the title, The Temptation going along with the title of some of our Bible translations. Others give it, Satan tempts Jesus, while others give it, God's son meets God's adversary, which is also a very good and accurate title. Others give it, Temptation in the Wilderness, which I really like as it speaks to the physical as well as the spiritual context of the temptation, which is indeed the wilderness. But uh, the title I like the most is the context of Jesus' mission. The context of Jesus' mission. Since it really points to what is going on. The phrase into or in the wilderness is repeated here. And that is where all of this happens. Jesus goes into the wilderness to meet John and be baptized in the Jordan. And Jesus is sent into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So it is true that temptation happens in the midst of the wilderness. And we cannot just glance over that fact. Jesus' consecration to his God-appointing ministry was followed immediately by temptation. Brothers and sisters, I guarantee you that when you commit yourself wholly to the Lord, you bet you too will 
experience intense temptation and trial and testing. And if you're not a believer and you're here this morning, I'm not going to beat around the bush. When you finally place your trust in Jesus, you will, without a doubt, be tempted. And the good news is, the author to the Hebrews tells us that he, Jesus, was tempted like us, and he empathizes with us, and he provides mercy and grace to help in time of need. And you need to hear this. As this message of hope and assurance is intertwined with what Jesus went through in these verses. You need to also direct your thoughts to the main focus of the Gospel of Mark here. And that is, Jesus prepares for and begins his mission. And his mission to seek and to save lost sinners happens in the context of the wilderness. And so for the rest of my time this morning, with the help of some commentaries as I studied through this passage, I will attempt to bring out a few points that this text shows us as we look at the words and phrases that make up these two verses. So it's today is more like a, a commentary of the verses with some application. First off, we read that the Spirit immediately drove him. It was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, who drove him into the desert. And as I said last week, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God is present and active here. The triune God takes the initiative in saving you. He reaches down out of the heaven and he puts you exactly where he wants you at exactly the right time and exactly the circumstances that he ordains. Now the word drove here is a forceful and violent word. And it has that same violence as the heavens being torn open. It is the same word that Matthew uses in chapter 21, 12, when Jesus went into the temple and drove out all of those who bought and sold. It is that same intensity that is used when John says in chapter 2, 15, recording the same incident and making a whip of cords. He drove them out, all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. That is a forceful word. In Mark 1, Jesus is sent with force into the wilderness to begin that process of that salvation for all of those whom he came to save. For all of those who would call on his name. And you need to catch the imagery here. Because what is going on here is reminiscent 
of what is happening in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I understand in your Bibles, in your Bible reading, maybe it's hard to focus as you read through the book of Leviticus. As as you read about all the bloodshed and the offerings and the festivals, some people believe it to be the hardest book to read in your personal devotionals as it takes the most patience and the most endurance to make it through that book. But all of this is a foreshadow of what Jesus came to accomplish for you. Anyways, in verse 16, we read about the scapegoat, which was loaded down with the sins of Israel. And what happens? It is expelled into the wilderness. It is driven into the wilderness. And Jesus Christ, the one who has just identified with you in your filthiness and wretchedness in John's baptism, takes your sins with him into the wilderness. You see, the person of the Holy Spirit is powerful. He takes the initiative and he gets done whatever he wants to accomplish. Even Jesus in the flesh could not and would not resist what God wanted to do. But you and I, are utterly sinful and totally depraved. And so it takes God's irresistible grace to break into our lives with force. And by that grace, he initiates your salvation and he accomplishes his purpose in your lives. That is God's amazing sovereign grace that drives you away from your own will and desire and drives you to Christ. Next in our passage, you would see that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. It would have been nice for him to just have driven him to Hawaii or the seacoast or the beautiful mountains of Big Bear or some other pleasant place. Maybe even back to the Garden of Eden where it all began. But he wasn't driven there. He was led into the wilderness, a barren and weary land, the thirsty and dry desert. The wilderness of Judea was a desolate place. And remember from before, the wilderness is a place of what? A struggle of hostility. The wilderness was a place where the Lord led his people, Israel, after he rescued them from the hand of Egypt's Pharaoh. And in their wilderness wandering, there was a complaining and arguing. You know, it's so easy to get irritated at everything when you are uncomfortable. Just think about earlier this summer when it was over 100 degrees here in Redlands, how irritating you were. But it was also in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that God was forming a people for himself. 
He was making for himself the nation of Israel. His very own people called out for his very own purposes. And as I mentioned earlier, it was this exact desolate wilderness, which is the context of Jesus' ministry. It was the, the context then in Exodus. It was the context in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and throughout the rest of the New Testament. And it is the context of his ministry now as he works in your lives, Christians, in the lives that people of the people that God has called out, working out that salvation to its completion. Remember, you are pilgrims in your wilderness wandering, and you are just passing through. In my understanding of eschatology or the end times, we are in the end times now, but things are only going to get worse. And Jesus, our hero, our commander-in-chief, will surely bring us through and call us home to him. And then if you continue on in the text, it says that there, uh, he was there in the wilderness for 40 days. Now that's a long time. That's a long time. What is the significance though about 40 here? Yes, the people of God wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a very long time, isn't it? But what about the 40 days? Well, think back in your Bible history to a couple of the greatest prophets recorded for us. Moses is one of the very first men of God given the title prophet. Something significant happens in Exodus 34, 28. He spends 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord at Sinai, and what does he do there? That's where the covenant is renewed. And the other prophet, who is probably the most like Jesus himself in his compassion, is Elijah. Elijah. In his day, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah wanders in the wilderness of Damascus, for 40 days. So here, the prophet of Elijah is wandering in a desert, the wilderness, again for 40 days. And so here you need to see the connection because Jesus is taking the mantle, as it were, of prophet here. He has taken the baton. And Jesus is prophet but he is much greater than any prophet in history because he is divine. He is God come in the flesh, the only begotten Son of God. And this is gospel because not only is Jesus prophet, he is priest. And you see more clearly in Mark, he is also king. So he initiates salvation by his word and spirit, but he also protects against all his and yours 
and my enemies. And that enemy ultimately being Satan. So in the context of the wilderness, there is a battle raging on. And this battle is more than is visible to the naked eye. It is a supernatural battle. And as is promised in the first mention of the gospel, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. There's a serpent crushing going on. And that's what's happening in the wilderness and in these in the wilderness for these 40 days. He is being tempted by Satan. Now, interestingly, this comes on the heels of the father's affirmation of him as he came out of the waters of baptism. And when he says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He's saying, I love you. I chose you. I assure you. And it seems reminiscent in a way to Job in the Old Testament. As soon as Job is spoken of one who is blameless and upright, the one who feared God and shunned the devil, Satan is allowed to come into the conversation and he attacks Job's character. Here, the Spirit of God sends Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested, if you will, by Satan. And what does the word Satan mean in the Greek? It means adversary, accuser. Jesus is brought face to face with his enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, Mark doesn't give us the details that the other gospel writers provide. Details about the nature of the temptation, for example. Satan's appeal to the lust of the flesh, to the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. Instead, we read that it is that he is being tempted. And Mark wants us to see that this is a continuous action. It ke- he keeps on being tempted. Because that is what Satan, the accuser, does. And what he wants is for Jesus to take his mind off of ministering to others and to put it on himself. And isn't that what his minions do to believers in Christ? Ever since you have committed to his will being done in your lives and in the world, his minions keep trying to tempt you. Satan tries to dupe you into thinking that you are the center of the world and that the world revolves around you. And believer, Jesus doesn't give in. And he has given you his word and spirit to fight. Then the text says that he was accompanied with wild animals wild beasts there's a lot of ink spilled you know about trying to determine what these animals were believe it or not there are those who believe that these creatures represent peace 
as it was Adam who named the animals in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. But that cannot make sense of the passage before us because Jesus is in the hostile environment here. He is in the hostile wilderness. Instead, these wild animals are part of the imagery of dangerous places like the wilderness. They remind us of the experience of God's people, Israel, in their wilderness wandering. Those animals were harsh like snakes. Better yet, like roaring lions. And as you read Daniel and the exile in Babylon and his free friends, they were thrown into the lion's den for food as punishment for not bowing down to foreign kings. See, this points to where Mark is writing from. He's writing from Rome. And in the Roman Empire, Christians faced intense persecution, even martyrdom for their faith. Besides lighting up the Colosseum at night as Nero torched their flesh, they were also fed to the lions. So here, Mark is going is writing to encourage the original readers, telling them that Jesus was also cast into the wilderness to the lions and fought the battle for them. And this is the same for you. As you go through the struggles and the trials of being a Christian, the good news is that Jesus experienced it all for you. For you. You might grow weary, but don't lose heart. Keep fighting. Keep looking to Jesus, your King, your Commander-in-Chief along the way. And finally, at the same time, the angels were ministering to him. The heavenly hosts were in the wilderness with Jesus attending to his needs. And again, the original language here is an imperfect active verb. They were ministering. It was an ongoing process. It was an ongoing action. The angels were ministering to Jesus. They did not stop, but they continued on and on and on. And again, the other gospel writers write from another perspective because all the gospel writers have different purposes. On the scene, there are no human beings there, just the angels ministering to him. And in the only other place in Mark we see this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus' time to die is drawing near. So the angels are ministering to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. In the context of his ministry, throughout his ministry, and on at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus' time is going to die is drawing near. As you are united to Jesus Christ and as you are called the people of God, 
one thing that is for sure is that God's protection is one of the greatest blessings promised to you. Psalm 91, 11 through 13 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Do you hear the promise of the gospel again being fulfilled? The lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. It's because the God of peace will shoot soon crush Satan under your feet. And we see that as Jesus being ministered and surrounded, ministered to and surrounded by the angels in the wilderness, we see Jesus arrayed in splendor, in majesty, and glory. We were reminded that Jesus is our servant king, and he is also the son of God. He is our God. He is my God. And he is your God. If you are in Christ, he is your God. When you are tempted by one of Satan's demons in your wilderness, it is God the Son who is there to help you in your time of need. So we saw that in just these two verses, we see that they are jam-packed with God. We see the action of the three in one, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in these verses again. He takes the initiative in our salvation. He breaks in to your messy life and changes your heart. The Spirit casts the Son into the wilderness. He drives the Son with force into that weary and dry land where he identifies again with his people, where he identifies with you and with me, our prophet, priest, and king is tempted there by Satan. He is with the wild animals in the wilderness. Again, emphasizing the hostility and the persecution, whether that all Christians must face, whether of strong intensity or of weak intensity. And he's attended to and ministered to by the angels. For Jesus, our hope of glory. We have hope. We have assurance that he has and he will indeed win the battle for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the wonderful fact that Jesus is the one 
who identifies with us. He went through it all for us. And he has won the battle for us. Help us to continually look to Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.